Cracking the Leadership Code. Are you tired of spinning your wheels, running in circles, trying to make progress with your career in entertainment and the arts? Well, this is the podcast that will change your life. Each week, we'll share strategies and techniques you can use to achieve more by working better and more effectively so you can reach your goals faster without having to work harder. Hi, I'm Gordon Firemark, and this is More Better Faster. You know, if you're an entrepreneur or business person, a writer, actor, comedian, magician, an influencer, or even a lawyer, you may not think of yourself so much as a leader, but it's your ability, your willingness, and your skill at leadership that are the traits that will set you apart from the rest and catapult your success. Now, my guest today, Alan Hunkins, helps leaders combine the performing art of leadership with the science of high performance. As a 20-year road warrior, facilitator, and coach, he's worked with thousands of groups in, in many, many different countries, and his clients come from every major industry, including um, 42 of the Fortune 100 companies. His new book is called Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders, and he is calling in from his home in the Netherlands today. Uh, welcome to More, Better, Faster, Alan. Thank you for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you, Gordon. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to our talk. I want to start with your bio that I just used to introduce you. It talks about the performing art of leadership, and I want to know, what do you mean by that? Sure. Well, I my background is actually I trained as a professional actor and went to uh, a master's of fine arts at a theater conservatory mm -hmm. out in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, when you are in acting school, you have to put yourself under the microscope, literally, uh, as, as it were, you know. So for me, what I realize is that, you know, all of us play roles in life. You learn this as, a, as an actor, clearly, but, you know, whether that role is an acting role or it could be as a husband, wife, partner, father, daughter, child, right? We all play roles in life and to learn how to do it with intention, there's a lot that we can learn from the performing arts and recognizing that one of the things that's so important for leaders is we traffic in people's attention. And so who knows better than how to engage people than performing artists? So I think this idea of understanding that we as leaders are our own instrument, that what we say and what we do, what we don't say and what we don't do with our voice, with our body, how we communicate, what we say, how we say it, that's such an integral part to being an effective leader. So I like to bring that side, that kind of creative, you might call it the right brain side, mm -hmm. along with the science, the neuroscience, the biology, the psychology of the science of high performance. And to me, great leaders are able to blend those two characteristics together. Very cool. So now you've said that leadership isn't about you shining, but it's about helping the, those that you lead to shine. That becoming a strong leader comes down to the choices we make and the habits we create. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. So a lot of leadership is about embracing a paradox. Like on the one hand, you are the most important person. And on the other hand, you are the least important person. And I think it's also having the wisdom to know when do you lead from the spotlight, the center? When do you lead from in front? When mm -hmm. do you lead from behind? When do you lead from the side when you coach all the way? And so understanding where you are and how that fits is so important. And that takes a huge degree of self-awareness, which is the, the baseline characteristic of emotional intelligence. So understanding that is key because it really doesn't matter whatever business you're in, 
we're all in the people business. We're all trying to influence other people. So that's where I'd start with that. So you mentioned emotional intelligence, and I suspect most of our listeners do know what that is. But can you fill in the blanks a little bit on that? Sure. So if you think about the people that you have always respected and admired as good leaders, my strong suspicion is that they are emotionally intelligent. They have a, they have a sixth sense for people. So emotionally emotional intelligence is around, first of all, having a self-awareness. Do you even know what a feeling feels like in your body and could you express it? Now, if you're emotionally intelligent, you think, of course I can, but there's a lot of people that can't actually do that. That's the first step is that self-awareness. Then the other big piece to, um, to emotional intelligence is relationship awareness, is recognizing what is the impact that I'm having on someone else right now? And are you clued into that or are you tone deaf to that? And so these characteristics of the interplay between self and other is the basis of strong working relationships. And ultimately, at its core, leadership is relationship. It's a relationship between someone who chooses to lead and someone who chooses to follow. And you said that in your book that uh, people today are really hungry for a new type of leader. So what's the old type and what's different about the new one? Yeah. So the old type I sometimes call the old school leader really is an old outdated holdover from the industrial revolution, which was really about I'm in charge and it's a command and control model, which is really basically I tell you what to do and your job is to shut up and do it. Now that may have worked and we may have gotten away with that back in the day of the industrial revolution when 90 to 95% of employees were literally like, uh, like modern times, Charlie Chaplin on the yeah. assembly line, right? Just the widget factory, right? Where literally, I mean, there's a, there's a famous quote from Henry Ford, the founder of Ford Motor Company. He was talking about the employees and he said, why is it every time I want a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, literally said things like this. So that was not unusual. And so it's amazing how much of our leadership playbook today is this leftover carryover from that antiquated industrial age time. I mean, the fact is we can laugh at it now, but it just doesn't serve us. And so what people want today in our leaders, because the world has changed, right? So we think about it. We have so much more transparency. I mean, back then in the industrial age, if you wanted to look for a new job, there was no LinkedIn. There was no Glassdoor. <laughs> You know, you were sort of stuck where you were. And so now we have with computers and transparency and choice that we have, we know where the grass is greener and we're not afraid to jump ship. And so realizing that what people are hungry for is we want to, first of all, work in and with others and organizations that have some sense of purpose, right? It isn't just a paycheck. I mean, a paycheck's important, but it's not sure. everything. And so recognizing we want some sense of purpose, uh, I think, which is what drives so many artists, right? We, we want to be creative and, and express ourselves to some greater sense of purpose. And then we also want to connect with empathy. We just want real authentic human connection. And we want people who can be transparent with us. So this is the new type of leader. And if you look at, you know, today in the workforce, you know, 59% of our workforce is uh, Gen Y and Gen Z. And they really refuse to play by the old rules that maybe older generations were willing to basically shut up and just put up with lousy leadership. Today, they're, they're jumping ship much faster than we used to. So leading with empathy, what does that look like from a, 
well, yeah, what does it look like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is, what is leading with empathy? Good, good question, Gordon. So let me first define empathy at a simplest level. So empathy is showing people that you understand them and that you care how they feel. And so as you hear that, that probably sounds like the most basic of human things to do. And on a certain level, it is. However, it's not so easy in that what it takes to really understand people and to care how they feel is you have to be willing to invest your time and patience to give people some space to express themselves fully. And I think this is a perfect time to recognize that if anything going on in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic is this gives us an opportunity to be exceedingly, exceedingly, exceptionally human in how we deal with other people. I mean, we are having this experience where we are basically collectively, globally having a collective trauma, all of us. And so realizing one of the most valuable things we can do to help people through traumatic symptoms is to express themselves. So leading with empathy, you don't need to be a psychologist. What you need to be is a patient listener and say, what's up? How are you feeling? What's on your mind? What's distracting you? And giving people the space, the time, some people call it the psychological air to breathe. And it's amazing how just connecting with another human over, God, I'm really scared. I'm really uncertain. I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means today, tomorrow, the next day. I don't know if I'm going to have a job, right? If we can just hear each other in these moments of vulnerability and pain, it's amazing how supportive that can be. So this is something that for some of us is common, common sense. And for other others of us, we have to work harder at it. Well, it may also, I think, be the kind of thing that some of us apply in some aspects of our life. I mean, what you were describing is those kinds of questions and that kind of connection sounds like the kind of thing that parent and child engage in. Yeah, yeah, it is certainly something that I think some of us are more comfortable either parent, child with friends. And what we're suggesting is, you know, even in a work relationship, and this is a great test of it, is the fact is we're all human, right? And so it's letting the guard down, that sense that I have to somehow, if I'm working, that I have to check my feelings at the door, right? You're probably Mm -hmm. familiar with that, right? This is a business we're running, right? You've got to check your feelings at the door, which if you stop and think about that, Gordon, it's a very strange (laughs) expression because- Technically, you can't actually check your feelings at the door. Now, what you can do is you can suppress your feelings at the door, which is exactly what we do, right? We put on this mask, right? It's like I put on my corporate or my business work game face and I sort of pretend to be someone I'm not. And some of the research that I did found that actually about 61% of the U.S. workforce feel the need to mask their identities in some way. And let's face it, when you feel like you've got to put on a mask that you can't bring your whole selves to whatever you're doing for work, there's no way you can possibly perform at your best. It's too draining. Well, and, and squashing down your feelings and, and suppressing, the, you know, the, the real you, the authentic is a great way to make yourself sick and that reduces productivity <laughs> and, you know, there's all oh, kinds yeah. of, yeah. So, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. So, and so as leaders, what we can do, you know, and, and a way to do this, by the way, to encourage others to be honest is to model the way, right? Is to be vulnerable yourself, is to Mm -hmm. be real with people. I mean, is letting go of this idea of leader as superhero. Like everything's fine. No, I'm fine. We're going to get through this. No, no one needs you to be some amazingly upbeat, positive, like I'm sure it's all going to be okay. Like we don't, eventually, yeah, let's have a positive framework, but let's admit that things are hard right now. Things are really hard right now. And we're not sure how long it's going to take for this virus to crest, even with social distancing. So for us to be real 
And to acknowledge that is hugely valuable as, as a leadership perspective. You talk about some habits that the, these new leaders can develop to bring more empathy into the workplace, the environment, whatever it is, their interrelationships with audience and, and followers. Uh, what are some of those habits? Yeah. So there's a number of habits that you can do if you want to cultivate and strengthen your empathy muscles, as it were. So one of the things I mentioned already is the sense of listening with purpose. So rather than just listening, just to respond and give your answer is to really give people some space to listen, listen very well with purpose. I'll give you an example. So when I started as a business consultant about 20 some odd years ago, I had zero business experience and I had zero consulting experience. And immediately out of the get go, I had to consult with, you know, senior people in different organizations. And I really didn't know what to do, but I had this great mentor and her name's Sue. And Sue said to me, don't worry about needing to know it all. Okay. These people know enough about their business. What you need to think about is being a learn it all. So one of the traits of developing empathy is to be curious. So Sue helped me to create this whole template of really broad, open-ended questions that I could use in pretty much any situation. So I would ask questions like, so tell me, what's the biggest challenge you're facing right now or your team is facing? And I would ask the question and then I just shut up and listen. And the amazing thing, Gordon, was that not only would clients share really useful information that I could help them with, is that also we would start to connect and build relationship because there's frankly, there's nothing that is more valuable than giving someone your complete undivided time and attention. So if you want to cultivate relationship with people, listen with purpose. So that's one example. There's some others I go into in the book around Mm -hmm. being curious about getting out of what we call the right, wrong trap. You know, so many of us have been socialized and educated to think there's a right way to think of things in a wrong way. Well, if we can let go of right and wrong and just hear people where they are, we're going to be much more open and receptive to that. And also we might come up with some new creative ideas along the way. So, um, that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, um, yeah. you know, one of the things I would just to add to that, I think is that, um, when asking those questions and listening for answers that, uh, sometimes it's okay to let the silence linger a little bit, cause that's where the real answer, if you don't feel the obligation to fill every silence yourself, the people you're talking with can sometimes reveal a lot if you just wait a little longer. Yeah, the power of silence is great. Another one around that too is just the power of asking some really simple, we can call them probing questions or probing Uh statements. So if someone says something that's provocative, just to stop and go, wow, tell me more about that. Uh (laughs) And just allow people to emerge because most of us don't get the space and time or others who will do that with us. And so when you do, it's like, wow, you really hear me. It's, It's amazing. I remember talking with a client who we finished one of these sessions up and she said, you know, I'm, got to say, I feel like this weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Like this was a good therapy session or something. (laughs) We're not, we're not suggesting that you need need to be therapists, but what we are saying is the power of intentional listening, listening can be really therapeutic and, and, and helpful. That's great. Are there some other tips you can give about, about things that we could do to develop a, a sense of loyalty and commitment from our followers? I'm thinking now in terms of the, the artist, the influencer, the creative person who is uh, looking to grow them, you know, their, their business, their opportunity. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so all of us, right, whatever our business is in terms of how do we grow loyalty and commitment is so recognizing that you are, and if you're a solopreneur, an artist, whatever that might be, you are your own brand. 
right? And so we have to manage our personal brand, which is about what do people say about us when we're not in the room? And so the way I like to think of that is what can I do in terms of enhancing my personal brand? What can I do to increase my credibility? And so a few things that you can do to increase your credibility, the first one's going to sound really basic and simple, and it is show up on time. (laughs) It's that simple. Sure. Is that when you tell people that you're going to be somewhere, be there on time. If it's a call or an in-person meeting, well, obviously not this week, but uh, yeah, showing up on time. Because if you stop and think about it, being on time is the easiest thing in the world to measure. You're either there or you're not, right? I think, was it Woody Allen said 80% of life is showing up? Someone like that said that. (laughs) So it's something that simple. So the other thing on top of that is be really clear and intentional about what you're committing to saying yes to and then follow through. That is do what you say you're going to do. Because a big part of building your personal brand is, are you seen as someone who follows through? Are you seen as trustworthy? Are you seen as credible? And so doing what you say you're going to do is the very definition of accountability. A uh, third thing, so we've got, so far we've covered do what you say you're going to do and be on time. Number three, be consistent, right? So if we think about it, you can do something once. I can show up on time once, but if I fall off the wagon after that, I'm in trouble. So it's thinking about my personal brand is how I'm seen all the time. And I want to develop this reputation for myself. So being consistent over time. And I'll tell you a funny example of this. So when I first learned this, and I learned everything I'm sharing today is I learned from mentors along the way. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first started showing up on time, and I used to get really upset when I would show up on time and other people wouldn't. It's like, but I'm here on time. Where Mm -hmm. are you? Why didn't you show? And I get really upset. And then one day I had to switch. So I realized I'm not showing up on time for them. I'm showing up on time for me because that's the type of person that I want to be. And so if you can start to think about who's the person that you want to think of yourself, then you take a lot of the power out of what others think about you. And I think that's so important. I mean, especially for artists. And you think about the industry that we're in, you know, it's so much rejection that you have to deal with. So the more that you can ground in your own personal sense of self, the more you're going to be able to bring a more energized kind of, we can call it at your best self to whatever you're doing. Yeah. That, that you were really talking about a kind of integrity and, and having that yeah. integrity internal for yourself, of course, radiates outward and people start to perceive it. Even if they don't understand exactly that that's what they're getting, they are, uh, you projecting that out. You're, you talked about it earlier, modeling by, yeah. you know, the right behind kind of behavior. And you, you bring up a great point there. Like that modeling, that integrity. You know, I remember when I first went out on auditions, they used to say, you know, you've got to want it, but you can't really want to want it because if you look like you want it too much, no one's going to want you, right? It's that sense yeah. of I, I'll do this. I don't need this, right? So part of developing your own sense of integrity is a way to make, make peace and kind of be comfortable with where you're extending yourself and where you're not necessarily overextending yourself. So I just wanted to bring that out. Yeah, That's great. Thank you. Yeah. You write in the book about the motivational choice architect. What is that? What is a motivational choice architect, right? So the whole idea of choice architecture comes from the field of behavioral economics. And so I'll give me give you a couple of quick examples about what the heck that means. That's like, what's behavioral <laughs> economics? So basically, it means that people don't necessarily always act in their own rational economic self-interest, mm-hmm. that we actually are pretty irrational. So for example, and this comes from the field of behavioral economics, if, if you wanted 
If you wanted people to eat smaller portions of food, one of the best ways to do that is serve the food on smaller plates, right? Because the plate size creates the perception that, oh, my plate is fuller, therefore I'll eat less, right? That's an example. Another example is if you want people to be organ donors, well, as a municipality, a state or a city or a country, what you can do is you make the, the default in opt-in that people are automatically opting in to becoming organ donors as opposed to having to opt out, right? So these, this is all about removing friction for people's mm-hmm. decisions. So that's what behavioral economics is. And if we think about leaders, you can't actually, here's, I call it the dirty little secret of motivation, which is you can't actually motivate anybody else. Because if you think about it, if you think that it's your job to sort of command and control someone to yeah. be motivated, then you're falling back into the old old school command and control, right? Old factory industrial age mentality. Okay, so then what do I do? Okay, so then the challenge is as a leader, what can you do to create the conditions where motivation is most likely to happen? And so this is the whole idea of being a motivational choice architect. So if traditional architects design structures, right? Using point, line, et cetera, to design buildings, A motivational choice architect designs work environments for people to be motivated and thrive. And so that means we have to understand what are the things that create an environment. And I write about four basic fundamental human needs that need to be satisfied in order for people to be motivated. And the four needs are the first one is we all have a need for safety. I mean, this is a great example going through this pandemic. Just notice how hard it is for you to be able to be focused and productive when you're concerned about your physical health and the health of those around you. It's really, really hard. I mean, everyone I'm talking to these days is saying, I am so tired and I am so distracted. Mm -hmm. Of course you are, because your need for safety that you're used to having isn't being met and you're having to stay inside and worry that anyone around you can be contagious, right? It's a huge need. So we can recognize that right now. So there's the need for safety. Another need we all have in order to be motivated is the need for energy. The fact is we want to be working in energized environments. And if the the environment's not energized, we tend to wither away as well. Mm -hmm. The third need is we all have a need for ownership. This sense that what I do, I have agency and autonomy and what I do matters, that I'm not being micromanaged, but I actually have some freedom to create and express myself in the way that I want. And then the fourth need is that we all have a need for purpose. That is, we all want to contribute to something greater than ourselves because that makes us feel that what we're doing is important and gives us meaning. And so I go through in the book for each of these four needs, I go through multiple very specific, practical, tactical action steps that you as a leader can do to cultivate more of either safety or energy or purpose or ownership. I'll just give you a quick couple of examples. So the need for energy, for example, I'm sure many of us have had the experience of being on, in a meeting that just went on for two hours, three hours, right? And we never took a break. So a simple thing to realize is when you're, if you're building a structure for a meeting, and this can be virtual or in person right now, it's obviously virtual, is are you building in breaks? Are you literally building in breaks for people to renew and recharge? So it's, I call it use the 90 minute rule. Really humans have a 90 minute cap. And beyond that, we are really proceeding at our own peril. So it's a simple thing that we can do to increase people's energy. Um, another one is to, to increase energy is I call it um, direct less and facilitate more. So instead of 
talking at people instead. So I could talk to you here, Gordon, and I could say, you need to do this. 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 And at a certain point, you're going to get filled up as opposed to going, Gordon, what do you think you need to do? Right. And drawing it out of you. So the fact is, particularly for adults, adults have this great need to be self-directed. And so by asking people, what do they think? And starting from there, even if it's the same thing we were thinking, Mm -hmm. it helps us from falling into the advice trap. So we take more of a a coach-like or or coaching mentality. So those are just a couple of actions that you can take to increase people's needs for energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You you write a bit about workplace rituals, and I'd like to know what what you have to say about that, but also how can we adapt that for those who are the solopreneur, the, the artist, the person who doesn't necessarily have a traditional workplace? Yeah. So if you think about what rituals are, rituals, whether, you know, for the workplace, let me step back out of the workplace for a second. Mm. Just talk about rituals. So uh, I had a mentor who said a ritual is something that worked once and got repeated. (laughs) And rituals are things that we put in life to help us to slow down and savor the moment that we're in. And if you think about our personal lives are filled with all sorts of rituals. Um, So for example, you're at a birthday party, right? Birthday party is pretty casual. There's some conversation, there's some food and drink, but pretty soon at some point in that birthday party, you know, there's going to be that moment when the, light, when the lights go out and people bring the birthday cake in, the candles are all lit and we have this wonderful moment. We all sing happy birthday. And then there's the quiet pause and the person blows out the candles and then we go back to, right? So that's a ritual mm-hmm. and that grounds us and anchors us in the moment of what's going on. So it's amazing. You know, our personal lives are filled with all sorts of rituals. And if you think about our workplace, we oftentimes don't have really many meaningful rituals at all. So even if you're a solopreneur, how can you build some rituals into what you do so that you can savor and more fully engage in what you're doing? So whether or not, I'll give you an example. I mean, one example could be how do you show up like before, let's say you're a solopreneur and you meet with clients. Do you have a ritual around what you do immediately before you meet with the client, right? So to put yourself in the optimal state, it might be something as how can I be best of service? I mean, you can choose, you can get creative around this. It can be a verbal ritual. It could be a physical ritual. It could be who knows? All sorts of things. Maybe it's putting on a certain kind of clothing. I mean, there's so many different yeah. aspects to rituals that you can use to basically grow your intention. I mean, rituals are all around creating intention. I mean, if you think about one of our classic societal rituals, just think about weddings. Think about mm-hmm. all of the different rituals that are involved with weddings, whether it's whether it's certain kinds of clothes, whether it's you know certain jewelry. We have wedding rings. I mean, there's so... There's... There's so many different things that are going on that during a wedding, multiple, multiple, multiple rituals. And so giving ourselves the space and time to create rituals that have meaning to us will just help us to ground more powerfully into whatever it is we're doing. Very cool. Yeah. Some people like to put on motivational music or something right before they have that meeting or whatever and uh, all kinds of, that's great. That's great. Thank you for that. And um, you also talk about peak moments and acknowledging them being an important component of things. Yeah. So one of the things, if we think about peak moments, the fact is, and I think most artists can relate to this too, is the fact is in all of our live experience, you know, let's say if our life is a movie, right? We we shoot all the raw footage. When someone says, hey, how was your day? 
you don't actually go through and narrate the last 24 hours. You pick and choose peak moments, right? You tell about the most exciting parts of, hey, you'll never guess, but you know, I went to Starbucks today and Brad Pitt was in front of me online. Mm -hmm. You might pick that moment out. You know, you probably wouldn't share the boring stuff or as like we to say, you leave the boring stuff on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And so I think recognizing that in the work, our workplaces are filled with peak moments. So for example, a first day on a job, or maybe it's the first day of a new project. I mean, there's a sort of wonderful honeymoon period where the expectancy is high. And how do we leverage that? How do we take advantage of those moments and build more into them? Because let's say you're working with a client on a new project. The fact is that first day and that first meeting, that first impression is going to count for a lot and either set you on the right track and build momentum in the right direction Or if it doesn't go well, it's going to set you down the wrong track. And so for me, understanding where are those critical peak moments and then what are things that we can do to heighten the emotional impact of those peak moments? So there's, you know, another quick, simple example. I have another mentor who is the king of the handwritten thank you note, right? Again, closing off a project. How do you follow up at the end? So he is in in the practice of sending handwritten thank you notes. And the power of how much that stands out today, because so few people do that. So if you take the time mm-hmm. to m- make sure someone recognizes, it's a, it's a way to capitalize on the peak moment of closings is, is the thank you. So recognizing in our relationships, there are multiple peak moments. And if we take advantage of those, we can make the most of those relationships and become more influential and more impactful. Okay. That's, that's great. So the book is called <laughs> Cracking the Leadership Code, uh, subtitled Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. Uh, it came out, what, last week? Came out last week, last Tuesday. Yeah, oh, and it's, right. currently, it's currently the number one new release on Amazon in the business communication category. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Well, thank you. All That's right. exciting. So, so it's available on Amazon and I presume other, other uh, yeah. book sellers. It's, yep. Yep. You can get it on uh, independent, independent bound, indie bound or Barnes Noble or Amazon. It's available on all three platforms. And it's available in Kindle format as well as in Kindle. And it's coming out pretty, pretty soon as an audio book, I think within the next month, if all goes well. Yeah. And if people want to learn more about the book, you can go to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. You can learn all about the book. You can actually download chapter one right from that page as well. So that's probably the best place to learn about it. You can also uh, connect, that connects right to my website as well. But crackingtheleadershipcode.com is a lot easier to spell than Alain Huntkins. So (laughs) you can find me otherwise. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn too. That's where I do most of my social media posting. That's Alain, L-A-L-I, excuse me, A-L-A-I-N. Exactly, Alain, A-L-A-I-N, Huntkins, H-U-N-K-I-N-S. All right, well, Alain, thank you so much for joining us on More, Better, Faster. I'm sure uh, our readers get a lot out of this and uh, out of the book as well. So I wish you the best luck. Thank you, Gordon. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. And we'll just start the little bit of music and uh, say thanks again for listening to More, Better, Faster. See you again soon. Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. 
or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.